so happy to be here with you guys today. I can't tell you. Uh, I'm here to talk to you about work, vocation, that thing you're going to do when you leave here one day. And uh, I tend to teach through stories. So I'm going to start with one where I really discovered what I didn't want to do for a vocation and what set me on the path to what figuring out what I did want to do for a vocation. I graduated college and I had a major that I really wasn't that interested in uh, pursuing full-time. And that was fine. And I, I went to my uncle and my grandfather and they did building maintenance. They were builders and, and uh, they did property management. And I, and I said, do you guys have any work for me? And they said, sure, we've always got work. So they hired me to do work and I did property, uh, commercial industrial property flipping, which is a little different than like the house flipping shows on TV. What this is, is they own the building and then they'd have a tenant and the tenant would uh, leave eventually and they'd leave a huge mess and I'd go in and clean it all up and get everything sparkling and perfect for the next tenant to come in. So one job in particular struck me. So I come into a warehouse and I'm looking, as I'm looking at the inside of this gym, it was bigger than this, maybe this times one and a half. And I, I walk in, I cleared out all the junk and everything. My uncle comes and says, well, you see how more than half the floor, so the equivalent of like the area between the bleachers here, is covered in one foot vinyl tiles. And these one foot vinyl tiles are glued down with industrial adhesive, the strongest stuff you can get. Not one of them had moved in 40 years. And he said, okay, your job is to scrape all those up. Great. Uh, okay, I, I want work, I'm, I'm blessed to have a source of income, I'm happy to do it. And he said, now, there's a, uh, he brings out this huge stick, it weighs about 30, 40 pounds, about this tall, it's got a blade about this wide on it. And he said, you're going to use this stick to chip up all the tile. I said, great, and he said, it's called the idiot stick. And I thought, He's got a sense of humor. I thought, sure it is. Uh, so he hands it to me, and I said, he said, okay, you take the idiot stick. I'm like, he's really still calling it that? And, and, and you chip these tiles up. So I start uh, chipping these tiles up one at a time. By the way, side note, about two months later, we lost the chipper stick, and I had to go to the tile store to buy another one. And I go in there, and I'm like, I need the stick that, you know, you chip up tile with about this tall, heavy, and the guy at the, behind the desk goes, oh, the idiot stick. I'm like, oh, I guess that is its real name. Uh, and so I'm chipping these tiles up, a couple, and, and I, I go at it full speed. I mean, I even took a running start, and I dig in, and about this much pops up. I'm thinking, oh. And, and then I'm hitting it and hitting it and hitting it all day long, and I got an area not much more than just right here. And I did this for at least a week, maybe two, I don't really remember, all day, every day. My arms were sore, I could hardly sleep at night, I was so sore. I came up with all sorts of techniques to use different muscle groups, right-handed, left-handed, backwards. And I tried everything. I even tried duct taping the thing to the bumper of my car and driving my car in and trying to... <laughs> didn't work. And I finished that and I was, I don't want to say I was proud of myself, I was really just exhausted, but my uncle comes in and he says, well, that, that looks great. He said, what about all the glue? Because all of that stuff, uh, all the, underneath all that tile was this industrial adhesive. And I said, well, the glue didn't scrape up. And he says, well, I'll show you how to do it. So he uh, gets some paint thinner out of his car, puts it on the glue to activate it, get a wallpaper scraper, 
and you could slowly scrape up this glue. He says, well, now you got to do all the glue. And I had a little bit of paint thinner in my car. I used it. I got rid of an area about this big as this podium right here. And so I went into the northern San Fernando Valley and bought all the paint thinner at every Home Depot that they had. The whole back of my truck full of paint thinner. I drive it back to this place. I dump the paint thinner out. I'm on my hands and knees scraping this glue. And the paint thinner's wicking up my jeans because I'm on my hands and knees, and so it's kind of covering me, and it's in my socks. And I mean, I'm gonna, it, it, the smell was so bad. I don't know how many brain cells I lost. So uh, if I just stop talking and stare into space, you'll know why. <laughs> and, and I remember just, it, it, the smell was so strong that I couldn't smell it anymore. That's when it's, it gets kind of scary. And I finished the job, and it took me, it took me weeks to, to finish it. And I finally finished it, and there was a great sense of accomplishment. I was grateful for the work. I loved doing this. I, I, I didn't love the actual task, but I loved the fact I had a job, and I was grateful but I started to think about, I don't think this is God's purpose for me. For some people, yeah, that might be, and that's great, but I just, I just kind of had this feeling, this, this probably isn't it. And so I started to really think about what it means to have a job uh, and a vocation, and, and so that's what I'm going to talk to you guys about today. Vocation is the activity through which you're called to serve the Lord. Okay, I'll say it again. Vocation is the activity through which you're called to serve the Lord. Over the next 50 years, this is what you're going to spend more time doing. Each one of you, most likely, will spend more time doing this than anything else but sleeping. And for some of you, you're going to spend more time doing this than sleeping, especially in certain parts of your life, certain times of your life. Uh, it's your primary da daily activity. So maybe you're going to be a pastor, musician, full-time uh, mother or father, biologist, doctor, teacher, youth minister, missionary, Maybe you're going to care for elderly relatives. Maybe you're going to have a regular corporate job, uh, an accountant. Whatever it is you're going to be, that's your vocation. And I'm going to talk about how to incorporate, how to think about vocation as you move forward. Uh, I, when, when I look at vocation, I look at work. Um, I, and I was doing the research for this. I went straight to Proverbs. I, I think that that is where we really get into this, and there's some very direct, I like direct, very direct statements on how to look at this type of thing. So uh, I'm going to start with uh, Proverbs 12:11. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. I love this. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have no sense. So what is that really saying about work? One of my pet peeves and one of the biggest lies that the world has told my generation and your generation is this. And I don't think it was, there was any malintent. I think people were, had, had the right spirit with this, but it's misguided. Is telling you guys that if you work hard enough, if you give it everything, you can be whatever you want to be. We've all heard that. You can be anything you want to be if you work hard enough. And it's a lie, right? We, deep down, we know it's a lie. Uh, I see Prof Beck down here. No matter how hard Prof Beck works, he will not be the king of England, right? So the statement's not true right there. I mean, I would love, I'm a runner, uh, and I love to run, and I would love to be a professional marathoner. I would. But no matter how hard I work, I can never be that because I'm really, really, really slow. 
so it's not going to happen for me. Right? God didn't make everybody in such a way that you could be anything. He has a purpose for you. And chasing these fantasies, and once again, I don't think people when they say this have malintent, but we can, so often we get focused because the world says I can do anything. And then you pick something that maybe isn't God's will for you and you could spend a lot of time, and we probably all know people who've spent lifetimes chasing fantasies rather than uh, giving their vocation to the Lord. Uh, the purpose of work. The purpose of work is to glorify God right? Uh, to use the gifts he's given you. You are only going to find fulfillment in your daily life by serving the Lord, and hopefully that's going to be through your vocation. Once again, you're only going to find fulfillment in your daily life but through serving the Lord. God has wired us for production and not consumption, And I I love this because most of us, we think about we're going to get a job, okay, I'm going to get out of college and maybe I'll get get out of debt and, uh, or maybe my debt gets low enough where I can start to spend money and I can buy myself something. That doesn't bring fulfillment. You know it, you've heard it your whole life. Most of us still try it and it doesn't work. Well, it does for about five minutes. A production, meaningful, productive work brings fulfillment. Study after study shows this, in addition to what God tells us through his word, that meaningful, productive work brings satisfaction. And I'm gonna tell you a story about that in a minute, but I'll tell you, when I scraped up all that glue, there was a tremendous source of satisfaction. I got more of a sense of completion and fulfillment and satisfaction out of doing that than I ever have after buying something. Next, you should feel free to work rather than looking to be free from work. You should, be, you should feel free to work rather than be looking to fr- be free from work. I've had jobs where I just looked at that clock waiting for that second hand to move over so you can get to five o'clock. That's hard. I mean, I, I, I remember specifically uh, a couple of jobs where I just couldn't wait to get out of there. I was working for the weekend, to borrow a line from an 80s song. I was working for the weekend. I was working for a vacation. I was just struggling to get to that next vacation. We get trained a little bit with that with schooling because you guys are always kind of working towards the end of the semester, and that's okay. That's completely different. But for your vocation, you shouldn't be looking to escape it. This should be your, one of your sources of fulfillment. Uh, I look up to my dad quite a bit, and he taught me very early on that you want to do a job you love, then you never work. I mean, he didn't think of that, but he lived it. If you do a job you love, you never work a day in your life. You have your vocation, but work's a little different. And what my dad does is he produces stage shows. So typically for retired people, uh, rents out theaters, 1,000, 2,000 seats, puts on a show, people pay to come see it, and he gets the money from, from that. And he's been doing that since long before I was born. In fact, what time is it? Yep, he's doing it right now. Uh, He's still putting on shows. He's almost 82 years old. It's still going strong. There's nothing he would rather do with his day than work. And it's been a tremendous blessing to me and lesson to me on how to do this. And one story in particular, he, uh, going way back, um, my mom, when she was still living, was always trying to get him to go on vacations, these long vacations. I want to go to Europe. I want to do all these things. And, and he always resisted because it took him away from what he loved. He'd rather work than go on vacation. We should all be so blessed, right? And he, was, he, he didn't really want to do it. And then after my mom passed, he, he remarried someone who really loved to travel. And that was kind of one of her prerequisites. I mean, it wasn't really that big a deal to my mom. But for, for this 
uh, lady, it was extremely important that, that he travel, and, and he's getting older, and he said, you know what, I'm going to try this. So he gets on a European cruise, a three-week European cruise. It was, I mean, spectacular stuff. And my brother works for him, and so he was holding down the fort back at the office. And at the end of the uh, trip, they had to get home, obviously, and there was a bunch of flights. Everything went wrong. We always hear these travel nightmare stories. The, the planes were delayed, and then they broke down, and he got diverted, and then weather. And it, it was uh, about a 50 to 70 hour, I don't remember the exact number, it was about three days, the journey home. No sleep or a nap on an, in an airport chair or something, bad food. It was, they were just miserable. And at the time, he's in his late 70s. He gets home, and of course, my stepmom falls straight, goes straight to bed. He, he gets home from the airport shuttle, picks up his keys, and says, I'm going to the office. Right? I mean, we should all be so blessed. And then he went in and he worked a full day because there was nothing he'd rather do. The thing he loved so much had been taken away from him for three weeks. So that was the first thing he wanted to do when he gets back. That's out there. That exists. And so often we look at this vocation hanging out in front of us and looking at the screen before it came up, it talked about caps and gowns. So I know it's getting very real for a bunch of you right now uh, what's, about what's next and we kind of dread it. But think of that, that you'd rather, the first thing you want to do, you just, is, when you come home from a European vacation, is I've got to go to work. We should all be so blessed as we uh, have, the voc- have vocation in our lives. Okay, next. Uh, Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. I love this verse, right? Commit what it is you're doing and he will work things out for you. Uh, I'm going to tell you my story real quick because I lived by this. When I was, uh, was scraping the paint thinner, doing the construction stuff, that was great, uh, but I, I knew there was something else. I was very grateful for that opportunity. After that, I got, I knew I wanted to do something with youth, but I really didn't feel God's calling into something in particular, and I wanted you guys all to hear that, because you don't always hear God's calling for your life when you're like seven. You all have friends who've heard it since they were seven, but not all of us get that when we're seven. Some of you don't have it yet. I didn't when I was an undergrad. Be patient. It'll come. But I, I knew I wanted to do something with youth, but I hadn't really received my calling, what I was supposed to be doing yet. So I got a degree in education, but I wasn't exactly sure why. I mean, a master's degree, I just knew a master's degree might help me someday. And then I started a business with friends of mine from church, and I liked business. It was fun. It was, I got to think critically, which I loved, and, and so I decided I know nothing about this, but I know I like it. So I went and I, got a, I went to UC Irvine to get my MBA. The second year I was there, you have this opportunity to get your tuition paid for if you're a TA. So I got a job as a TA. And at that school, contrary to this one, you would have the lecture and then you would also have these uh, discussion sections where the TA would lecture during the discussion sections. And so I had to teach. And I didn't really ever think about teaching. I wasn't, I didn't, never gave it a second thought. So I remember the first time I stood in front of this class waiting for it to start where I had to teach. And I, didn't, I wasn't worried about it. I, I'm not, uh, I'd never done speaking before, but I, I just didn't, wasn't concerned. And I stood there and I had this incredible piece and I remember it like it was 10 minutes ago. I remember standing there, I can, if I, just looking at you, I can picture those students' faces. 
I can picture, I even know what they were wearing. I know what I was wearing. I remember the, I remember the lesson I was teaching. I remember the words on the notebook in front of me as I was gonna start. And I didn't, I wasn't like taking mental pictures of this stuff, but it was just such a, it turned out to be such an important moment. And then I watched that clock tick over to the time I'm supposed to start at three o'clock. It hits three o'clock and I start teaching. I introduced myself and off I went. And it was like, God took a lightning bolt and threw it and hit me in the head. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. He didn't throw a lightning bolt and hit me in the head. I checked later. Um, there's no... <laughs> but it felt like that. And I remember as I'm teaching, I'm like, this is it. Now I know. I love this. This is so much fun. I'm enjoying this. And meanwhile, I'm teaching some boring grammar stuff. I mean, it was, it was hideous. But, it, it the, <laughs> but I loved doing it. And, and I thought, this is amazing. And so I did that all year, and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get a job teaching college. I'm 27 years old at the time, and I don't know how I'm going to get a job. Nobody's going to hire me. I don't have any real experience except that being a TA. But I th so I got a job with another uh, friend from church, and he'd started an internet company, and he wanted me to come in and run the business side so he could do the creative. And it paid really well, and I was happy to do it, and I, it was okay, but I, I could tell it wasn't God's calling for me right from the start. And I thought, I, I've got to get into this teaching thing. And the other thing I loved doing that I had done for years at the high school level was coach volleyball. And I loved coaching volleyball, and I thought, maybe I can get into a college by coaching volleyball and maybe transition into teaching, and maybe by the time I'm 40, I can teach or something like that. So I started applying to colleges all over the country to coach volleyball. And I heard back a few weeks later from one that was 20 minutes away from where I was living. They said, uh, it was for a men's volleyball coaching position. They said, we're looking for a men's volleyball coach. I said, great, uh, so am I. I'm looking to be a coach. So we, there are a bunch of interviews, and they, uh, they offered me the job. And they said, would you like to be the coach? And I said, yes, I'd love to be the coach. And they, and they said, it pays $3,500 a year. And I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'm not quitting the day job yet. Uh, that would almost pay three months' rent at the time. In fact, I did the mental math considering the commute and there's all the out-of-pocket expenses. I was going to lose money. And I didn't even hesitate. I felt, I felt God's presence with me saying, this is it, take the job. I took the job. And then I found out that the school didn't have a gym, so I had to practice at... Uh, 10 o'clock at night at the local junior college. So I remember getting the, to the junior college 10 o'clock at night and the badminton class that was in there always went long, so we'd watch a bunch of people play badminton. <laughs> and then my players and I would go in and it was incredible. It was so much fun. We'd go in and, and I'd run practice and sometimes we'd go till 1, 1.30 in the morning, not, not like anyone was using the gym after us. And we'd stay till 1 or 1 in the morning and then we'd talk in the parking lot afterwards. It was a Christian school, so we'd talk about what God was doing in our lives, and, and it was just, they were happy to have a coach, and I was happy to be a coach, and I just loved it. I couldn't wait. I remember working, I'd get up early, go to my day job, and then I'd come home, and I should go to bed at that point, right? I should come home and get a good nap in before practice, because I hadn't slept that much the night before, and every, every day I'd sit on the, I'd lay down on the couch, and it'd be one of those where your leg is moving, and you're rubbing your hands, and your eyes are wide open, because I was so excited to go do this. I'd never been excited for a job before, and I'd go, and I'd coach, and then I came, I remember driving home the 20, 30 minutes at two in the morning every night, and I'm normally not this guy, but in this case I was, where I'm just, 
giving thanks to the Lord out loud in the car because I had never felt in my life up to that point that I was truly doing what he wanted me to do. I didn't think I was away from it, but I felt like I was in the vocation that he had in mind for me. And it was a tremendous blessing. I'm just praising God the whole way home for this opportunity to have what was essentially a full-time level of work for $3,500 a year. And I could not have been more blessed or more thankful. Um, Not too long after, it was still, I'd not coached a game yet. It was preseason. The women's volleyball coach and associate athletic director uh, moved on. He, he left. And the athletic director seemed to like me and, and, like, and the feedback on me was good. So she offered me the job of women's volleyball coach in addition to men's volleyball coach and associate athletic director. So at many schools, those are three full-time jobs. And she offered all three of them to me for a total of $17,500 a year. This wasn't... I'm, I'm old, but not that old. It, this wasn't that long ago. Uh, and I thought, when, when she offered that to me, I didn't even hesitate for a second. I mean, not even, I said, yes, I'll do it. Knowing I was going to have to quit my job, and knowing doing the mental math, because I w- was and still am kind of a business guy, I, I knew I had with my savings and that salary, I had about one year where I could live. I thought, okay. I can do this for a year. That'll get me through the end of the women's volleyball season the next year. So I'm okay till then. Um, I'm going to have to get used to ramen and beans and walking uh, and not driving. But I can do this for a year. And I just, I just felt that's what God wanted me to do. And because I kept you know, thinking back that God will establish the plans for me. So... About two months later, word had gotten out that this guy with an MBA was coaching, and they needed someone to teach night classes to older students, the students that were maybe uh, in their 30s and 40s would take these four-hour night classes. They said, do you want to teach one of these classes? Yes. I mean, that was my first goal. And I was thinking, maybe I'll get a teaching thing when I'm 40, and I'm still, at this point, I think 28, and they said, do you want to do this? I was the youngest one in the room when I taught. Uh, All my students were older than I was, and it was a little awkward. Um, But they were great, and I loved it, and it went well. And the person running that program, the dean over that program, said, you know what, I need a full-time person. Will you come teach for me full-time? I'm thinking, wow, this wasn't supposed to happen for a long time. But the answer is yes, uh, of course, I'll do that. Um, But I didn't get rid of my other job because they just kind of packaged the whole thing together. So my job was men's volleyball coach, women's volleyball coach, associate athletic director. In fact, the athletic director was out on maternity leave, so I was kind of interim athletic director. And the sports information director, uh, we transitioned, so I had to be sports information director, and I was teaching full-time. And it was 90 to 95 hours a week, and let me tell you guys, it was incredible. I loved every minute of it. It was so much fun. I'd get up in the morning, barely have time to grab a banana. I moved across the the street from work because I didn't have time to commute. So I walked to my office and I'd work all day until my practice ended at 1 and 1, 1 1.30 in the morning. I'd come home, fall asleep, get up, do it again six days a week, and it was incredible. I was so blessed. And like I said, I loved every minute of it. Fast forward a little bit. Five years later, because um, I don't have time to get into all the intricacies, at that point I'd stopped coaching and was just teaching full-time. And I was married, and my son had been born, and he was a few months old. And my wife was working part-time, but we wanted her to not have to work. And financially, we just 
couldn't make a family work on what they were uh, paying me, which in the total they were paying me was in the low 30s. And I, and I loved the job, I loved the school, they were so good to me, but it just, and they, they were poor school and they just couldn't afford to pay anymore and I felt like God was telling me to move on. And so I applied to, uh, I sent out applications all over the country to see if anybody would want me to teach for them. And I did this on a Saturday or Sunday and on Monday morning I get a phone call. By the way, that never happens that quick. Monday morning I get a phone call and the, the school that I'd applied to says, would you be interested in coming out for an interview here on Wednesday? Once again, that doesn't, this doesn't work that way. Normally there's about six phone interviews and a video thing and, all, uh, and then you get flown out at the end. Will you be here on Wednesday? Sure. So I got on a plane, went out there. I was met at the school by the president of the school. Once again, this normally never would happen. Oftentimes you get in the faculty hiring process, you won't meet the president because presidents typically have a lot more uh, important things to do and work on than that. And so, but he spent two days with me, he and I, and it was great. And then I fly home, walk in the door, and my wife says, you know, when you were in the air coming home, because we'd have, she was stayed home with my son and we'd been on the phone throughout. She says, this guy from that school called me and was trying to talk me into moving to Kansas, which is where the school was. He was trying to talk me into moving to Kansas while you were in the air. I said, what was his name? Well, and I only knew one person at the school anyway, and she said, Bruce. I said, he's the president of the college, and she just turned white. She, she said, I didn't talk to him like he was president of a college. I said, well, good, you're yourself, that's fine. <laughs> I hope I didn't ruin it for you. I said, well, we'll see. I, don't th- I didn't think so. Uh, she's great, and, and sure enough, I, we had a talk, and, and I, we said, well, obviously, he, he wouldn't call her if he didn't want me to work there. He said, what's it going to take for us to work there, for, for me to work there, for us to go live in, in central Kansas? She's from Southern California. I was from Southern California. It was a big change for us, and, and it was really, you know, God was leading the way, and we said, well, if we're going to make it, it's cheaper to live there, plus we want to live on one income, and this is to move our family across the country. We said it's going to be a, a round double, maybe a little less than double my current salary. So we picked a round number and said $65,000 is what it would take to get me to move across the country. And sure enough, it had to have been 10 minutes later, which was about 2.30 in the morning Kansas time, Bruce calls. The president of the college calls me, the phone rings. I knew who it was. Uh, <laughs> phone rings. I answer the phone. He says, uh, Kevin, it's Bruce. He said, what? I want you to come be my business chair. I said, great. Uh, and he said, how much would uh, you want to be paid to do that job? And I said, you know, my wife and I were just talking about that. I'll come out there and do it for $65,000. And he says, no. He said, no, you're worth more than that. If you say yes right now, I'll give you 75. Said, yes. <laughs> Uh, he says, uh, okay, I'll have Renee call you in the morning and work out a contract and give you the details. And so my wife, all she hears is me say hello and yes and didn't know what happened. <laughs> she said, so what was that? And I said, we're moving to Kansas. And, and she said, well, we need to pray more. Um, and it turned out to be a great blessing. And, and there's, uh, I want to talk about other things and, and the story is equally amazing how I ended up here, but I've always, I, I firmly believe, and it's right there in scripture, that God will provide for you, right? He will establish your plans. 
Proverbs 16.3. Okay, moving on. Proverbs 14.23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So direct. I love it. Proverbs 14.23. All hard work brings a profit. Mere talk only leads to poverty. Uh, it's that hard work part and that it's your life's vocation that you're working on. And, and it doesn't stop. Your vocation doesn't go away until you can't do it anymore. Then maybe your vocation changes. I, I always get concerned when people talk about retirement. I mean, if you're switching vocations and are using the word retirement, that's one thing. But I don't remember anywhere in the Bible is it when it says on your 61st bir- 65th birthday, you stop working. But yet that's kind of what we look at. But vocation, it continues and you can transfer from one vocation to another. And I was working with my grandfather and this was back at the time around the paint thinner story. And I was working with him and he's in his late 70s at the time and he'd been a builder all of his life. Uh, He'd built uh, homes, commercial industrial properties out in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, He even built a gymnasium for a small Christian school in Santa Clarita, which you guys are sitting in today. And it's kind of fun for me to, it gets me a little emotional, but it's kind of fun for me to be here today um, considering he built this uh, building 50 years ago. In fact, he'd probably be tickled it's still standing considering the budget they gave him to build it. Uh, and, And if you've been here long enough to remember the old bathrooms, he wanted to make sure Whenever I mentioned I would, I would be out this way he, uh, before he passed, he always said, they gave me those designs. I didn't design those bathrooms. That was... Uh, but we were out working one day, and at this point, he's in his late 70s. He has two artificial knees. Spine, his spine is fused together. Artificial heart valve. Quintuple bypass surgery. We call him the bionic man. And he was still out there working. I remember one day we got there, he says, we need a new sprinkler system in the front of the building. And I said, great, and I figured that's my job to dig up the, the sprinkler system. Um, no, he sent me to Home Depot to buy pipe while he dug up the sprinkler system. And I tried to talk him out of it. I'm like, if you die, Grandma's gonna kill me. Uh, <laughs> and, but no, that was his building. He was gonna do the work. He was still felt like he could. He was still gonna work. And later that day, we went up on the on the roof to, to fix an air conditioning unit, and he's up there scaling the side of the roof on the ladder that goes, there's no internal ladder. You go up the side of the building. In fact, we didn't have the key to the lock that seals off the ladder, so I had to pull my truck over, and we climbed up on the back of my truck, and like, wow, and, and, and he, I think he got there, up there easier than I did. But it taught me about hard work, that that doesn't stop. You don't turn it off. All right. Uh, next thing I want to talk about, it's one of my favorite Proverbs, uh, five verses from Proverbs, 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. It's talking about the ant there. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. That's a powerful verse, right? Read the second half again. How long will you lie there, you sluggard, when you get up from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. 
uh, continue uh, related verses, Proverbs 12, 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Proverbs 13, 4. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So what we're getting here over and over is to work hard and to prioritize work. Of course, priorities, you know, you serve God first, and hopefully that can be through your vocation. Your family takes priority. But don't discount the energy you put into vocation. For some reason, the world has told us, put your energy into everything you do other than work, and then just survive work. And that's so wrong. And, and I like to give practical advice, and, I, and I, I've told a lot of stories, but I want to give you guys some practical advice on how to succeed in no matter what your vocation is. And it's really practical and really obvious but the world keeps telling us to do this all the wrong way. If you want to succeed, several things. I mean, this is really basic. Get to bed on time, get up early, get some exercise, eat, do your devotional all before you go to work so when you walk into the office, when you walk into where, the church, wherever it is you're gonna be, you're ready to go. And you're, you're gonna succeed beyond what you thought possible. I mean, picture the per, the the contrast between these two people. You've got one guy who walks in, I mean, and he is ready to go, no bags under his eyes, just dressed nicely, ready to succeed on the day, full of energy, starts working and being productive right away. Somebody who's treating work uh, as if they're serving the Lord. Contrast next to the person who stayed up late doing whatever, uh, didn't prioritize the next day's work, they come in, bags under the eyes, kind of shuffle-stepping, got like a gallon of coffee in their hands so they can get themselves awake. And, and it, picture yourself being the boss in that situation, looking at these two individuals. Which one are you going to promote? Which one looks better? You know, who, who do you want working for you? And, and I think that stuff's just, it's so obvious. And... Uh, a couple of other things. I did want to mention just a few things. I've talked to so many people in the professional world and, and about what makes someone successful. I just wanted to give you a few nuggets before I close. One of them being, if you want to succeed, you go to work to say yes. You don't go to work to say no. So your answer in the workplace is always yes. Somebody asks you to do something, yes. Your answer is yes. Now, of course, the exception is if you're ever asked to compromise your faith, if you're ever asked to compromise an ethical standard. Of course, the answer is no. But aside from that, if your boss says, hey, do you mind, um, I'm looking out here, stacking all these chairs? Yes, I'm happy to do that for you. Would you uh, do this really crummy job? Will you scrape up the paint thinner? Yeah, of course, I'll do it. And if you're always saying yes, when it comes time for that really important project, who's your boss going to think of? When it comes time for the promotion, when it comes time for the raise, who's the person that says yes? It's you. And contrast to the person who thinks they're too good for jobs, okay? Uh, Want to make sure there is one other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about. And that was just how you're going to uh, treat the workplace with regard to all aspects of how you treat the workplace, but specifically with how you dress. And it kind of goes along with the being ready for work in the morning. As a boss, and I've supervised plenty of people in my life, I've never once looked at the guy 
that is taking every liberty with the dress, whatever dress code we have, if we're business casual, that is trying to game the dress code and said, okay, look at that. What, why, you know, we're supposed to wear dress shoes, but he's got pants with long, you know, the cuffs go over the shoes so I can't see the sneakers and, and you're supposed to have clothes that fit and that's obviously way too overseen. He's got the stain on his shirt. Man, that guy's got upper management written all over him, right? Never, never. Take pride, remember, you're representing the Lord in the workplace and treat it as such. These little things make a huge difference. Um, I just wanted to uh, give you guys a couple little practical things at the end there to take with you. Uh, I, don't, I was told by my students that if I go too long, you guys will stop listening uh, at 10.15, so I see it's 10.12, so I'm gonna close us in prayer and uh, get us all on with our day. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this opportunity to come to gather here in your name. Thank you for a country where we can freely gather to worship you. Thank you for each and every student at this institution. Thank you for every staff member, faculty member, administrator, for all that they do to honor you. I ask that you be with each student here as they move forward in their lives and try to figure out what their vocation is. Maybe they already know, maybe they don't, but that they look to you and to, to get that guidance in their lives. I ask you to be with those who are graduating soon as they take that next step and that you may uh, be with them. I want to pray for health and wellness as we end the semester. I want to ask all these things in your name. Amen.